morning, everyone. You guys happy? Doing good? Awesome. Uh, I am so excited about speaking at Jesus in Berkeley. I'm like, I'm like out of my skin. Um, so we do a prayer and worship night every Wednesday night. I'm sorry, once a month we do a prayer and worship night in this, and we just kind of soak in the love of the Lord and worship Him, and there's no agenda. And two Wednesdays ago, I was just like loving every moment of it. Uh, I wasn't here for the last one, uh, but I was just like loving every moment of it. So I had, after everybody left, I stayed for an extra hour, hour and a half, turned on worship music back there, and just like started spending time with the Lord. And I was just like, oh God, you're so beautiful. And as I was just worshiping the Lord, I started to picture myself speaking on Sproul Plaza. Yeah, no joke. And this has been kind of like a dream of mine for years. When I was a student, like I was, you know, like, oh man, someday I'll have the courage to speak on Sproul Plaza, you know. <laughs> and then that week I was just kind of like remembering that and being like just standing up there and feeling like boldness and like all this stuff. And then John Knox today is like, oh yeah, by the way, it's on Sproul Plaza. I'm like, yes, this is awesome. So this is going to be really fun for me um, if you want to come out. Uh, it's a beautiful event. You know, it's, it's Jesus in Berkeley. It's not Jesus at our church. It's not Jesus at that person's church. It's Jesus in Berkeley. And it really is like a unifying of the body of Christ coming together and saying, like, this is first and foremost about him. And let's represent the body of Christ in one event to welcome all the new students. Because there used to be events here and events there and barbecues and, like, all this stuff. And there still are, and it's great. But this is a great way to kick off the year. So I feel humbled and privileged this is a real ask. Pray for me. I don't want it to suck. I want it to be good. So pray for me, because I need his power and his glory. So, uh, amen. We're all in agreement, Lord. Amen. Speaking of which, let's talk about uh, asking, seeking, and knocking. Turn to Matthew chapter 7, if you have your, uh, your Bibles. Matthew chapter 7. We're going through the book of Matthew. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for a long time because it's so good. We just take little bites here and enjoy them, and we'll get through it eventually. Okay, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7, we'll go through verse 12. It says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. As a reminder, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. There's a small group gathered around him, but there's also masses out uh, in, in the area. And it says very specifically in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. But you can kind of get the picture that there's this horde of people around him, and the ones that can push in close enough to hear him probably get the good stuff. And there's probably a big group of people that are there that can't hear him because there's just masses of people. But it says very specifically, he's speaking to his disciples. And so he starts out and he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And, anyone, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. 
for this sums up the law and the prophets. Amen. For those of us who have been in the church for a long time, the crazy in this passage can be stripped out, and you can just read it over and go like, oh yeah, everyone who asks receive, everyone who seeks knocks. This is nuts. Like, let's listen to what he says. He says, for everyone who asks receives. No. It's crazy. If you think about what was going on at the time, this was completely different than anything that they had heard before. If you look at the pagan religions, we, we, Jesus kind of commented them on them in, a, in, a, in, a, in an earlier part of the Sermon on the Mount, but he says that the pagans get up there and they ramble on with repetition, and they think that in their many words that they'll get some answers. Like, what kind of approach to God re- results in a lot of words and just babbling in front of, you know, whatever gods you think are out there. One, probably a God that's really impersonal, right? You kind of like hope you hit something. It's kind of like the machine gun effect where you're just like all over the place and you're like, oh, I got one that hit the target. Like I got my answer. Like that's what it would feel like. So very impersonal. The, the second one is honestly not very relational, like at least in the good kind of way, right? Like if you're trying to control your God, where you like say the magic rhyme of words that come together in a way where it's like, oh, the box opened after I said abracadabra. That's kind of the imagery that you get of how the pagans treated their God, like someone very impersonal. And when you go to pray, it's like, man, I hope I hit the lottery today. I hope I just say the, the right, right set of words. And if I do, then this mysterious being will, will deliver something and you know, maybe they'll have to because I said the magic code or something like that. And then on the Jewish side, the other kind of like main religion going on in this, in this area, on the Jewish side, you had the Pharisees. And the way that Pharisees approached prayer and kind of answers to prayer was, if you're good enough, then God will hear your prayers. If you are perfect in keeping the law, I mean, every one of your actions is right in line, then maybe God will hear your prayer. In fact, there had been 400 years of silence, this this famous kind of 400 years of silence between Jesus and the last prophet. And, And the reason why the Pharisees at the time were so hardcore about making sure everybody did every letter of the law was because they thought that God was so absent from them because people weren't abiding by the laws that they did have. And so they're like, well, let's add some to make sure that maybe, like, maybe he is annoyed by this little thing that we didn't know we were supposed to do, and so let's add that one too. And so there's this kind of feeling, it's like, man, you better be absolutely lined up and perfect if your God is going to answer your prayer. And then they had these heroes from history, these very unusual characters like Elijah, where it seemed like they could ask for anything and they'd get what they wanted, right? Like, He tells the rain to stop, and it stops. He tells it to pour, and it pours. He's in this interesting situation where all of the prophets of Baal are in a fight with him, and they're, like, testing their gods, and it's like, oh, yeah, you think your god's good? I think my god's better. And he has so much boldness that he goes, basically, like, calls down fire from heaven. It consumes this, like, soaked altar, and and he proves to be, like, that's my god. Right? Like, so they have these legendary people in in the Jewish Old Testament that, that could interact with God in a way where it seemed like they could get 
anything they wanted from God in the right moment. And then Jesus steps on the scene in this crazy way, and he says, pagans, they've missed it. Pharisees, they've missed it. The, the, the heroes from the Jewish Old Testament, they've got it, except there's one little difference. It's not just for them. Everyone. Everyone has access to this type of connection with God. And then he goes on to give the analogy of a father and a son. Like one of the most intimate relationships on earth. Right? When done right, you can go to your father and you can ask them pretty much for anything. And you know that they're going to give a good gift. Because they love you. And that's his assumption in here. It's crazy. He completely flips the script and he blows everybody's mind who's before them. And so I say that because I kind of want it to be a little bit of a slap in the face for us. Like, I kind of want it to be for us one of those things where it's like, is this your life? Is this how you live? Has mysticism and pagan-type religion stuff slipped into your requests of God? Where it's like, man, I kind of really don't know how this whole thing works, and so I'll just, like, try the riddle, and hopefully the door opens, you know? Or do we get before the Lord and we're like, I am your child. Of course you have good gifts for me. What would you pray if you knew that God would answer anything that you prayed? What would your prayer like look like if you believed that God would answer anything that you asked of him? Crazy, right? How much would you pray? A ton. You'd be like, anything that's important, even stuff that's not important in my life, I am praying about this stuff. In fact, it never stops. It's a constant thing. It's just like, open that door. <laughs> Start my car. No, I'm not saying we're supposed to do that. But I'm just saying, like, what would, it, what would it look like? Like, I think for risk of being offensive or audacious, I think sometimes we end up on the other extreme where we just, like, don't ask for stuff. Because we're like, I'm not sure I should have this. Maybe if I ask this, it's actually from an impure place in my heart. Maybe I'm like the Pharisee where I like got to get some stuff in my life together before I have any boldness before the Lord. But like, if you look at a kid, seriously, like, if you look at a child with their parents, it's ridiculous. McKenna doesn't even ask. She just goes, Daddy, I'm hungry. I'm like, cool, thanks for sharing. You know, it's not even a request anymore. Daddy music. Wheels on the bus. Dora wheels on the bus. And I'm not saying that that's how we should be too. I'll talk about that in a minute. But that boldness is crazy. We got to learn from that. Like that kind of confidence, that kind of awareness. Why does she do that? Because I have this history with her where she's asked and she's received every time. And so it happens over time. That's our life with Christ. We get more and more trust. We get more and more faith as we walk with him. So if you're not in that place, that's okay. But what I want to offer you is a vision for a life like that with God. What would your life look like if you had that kind of connection with the Lord? Where over time, you, this trust grew in you, where you just, you just knew you just knew he was that good. What, what would that be like? I remember when I was in college, 
Uh, actually, no. Uh, it was right after we got married. Um, I was hanging out with Sarah Yang a lot. And Sarah Yang has a pretty bold relationship with the Lord. She'll pretty much ask for anything. And we were hanging out. So Sarah Yang is uh, one of the co-founders of the Ark. For those of you guys who don't know who she is. But anyways, we're hanging out one day and we're talking about like deep things. And we come through some passage in Corinthians where it basically talked about the deepest mysteries of God being unveiled to his children. And we were just sitting there like, oh my gosh, like this is crazy. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It talks about, you know that whole passage where it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard? The amazing things that God has in store for his children. Do you know the point of that in in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? The point is, is that that's a past tense thing. And that those things are now available to the people of God. Whenever it's quoted, it's always like, well, we'll never understand for no eye is seen, no ear is heard. In 1 Corinthians, Paul's using that in context to say you have the mind of Christ is the way that he ends the chapter. Like you have access to these things. He says, who knows the deepest things of God except for the spirit of God? Guess what you have? The spirit of God. And so he says like, that's Old Testament stuff. Look at how crazy it is, the life that we get to live in Christ. Go after it is basically his thing. Like, you have access. Go after it. And so Sarah and I in this time, we we caught vision of this thing, and we're like, oh, my gosh. Like, let's go after this thing with every fiber of our being. And so we decided to go on a fast. We kind of, this this actually probably is more like the pagan type, because I was like, maybe I'll force God's hand. (laughs) If I fast, he has to answer me. Um, But the fast was, like, the idea of fasting is great. For another time. <laughs> My heart wasn't like totally in the right spot in this one. But I did it anyways, and I went on a 21-day water fast. Yeah, meaning I drank water, but nothing else. On like, on like day 19, I was serious about this thing. Like I caught vision of this life in Christ. I caught vision of this thing in, in Corinthians where I was like, oh my gosh, like the deepest mysteries of God are available to me in Christ through his spirit. Like, what else is the right response? Do I want this more than food? Absolutely. It was like the most logical thing in the world. So, so on day 18, I think it was like day 18, I get out of bed in the middle of the night, you know, like, I was drinking a lot of water. So I get out of bed in the middle of the night, and I go completely dark, and I like fall over, and my head smacks against the wall. <laughs> and I'm laying on the ground going, oh, and Suki, like, muddles something and then, like, rolls over and, like, grabs her, grabs her blankets over her. And I'm laying on the ground thinking, like, what am I doing to myself? My wife has no compassion. She was like, she was like when are you going to end this thing? This is, like, absolutely nuts. I'm like, no, I'm serious about this thing. I'm going after it. And it was, like, two, li- two nights later that I fell over and smacked my head. I was fine. Made it another two days. But the point was, is I caught vision for this life. I caught vision where I was like, is anything more than important than knowing God? Is anything more important than the type of relationship where I could request things of my Father and we're so well aligned that he can say yes and amen because my prayers are so in line with his promises in his heart? Like there's nothing in my heart that, that is prone to idolatry in areas where it would make his yes scary and off limits. Like, you could ask for finances because finances had no grip on you. 
You could ask for influence because the allure of fame had no grip on you. And he could say, I can actually make you famous for my glory and my honor because there isn't that thing in you that will be destroyed if I give it to you. You know, like, the promises of God, like, the only time we ever say no to McKenna is if it's something that's not good for her. But there's times where it's not good for her because of what her response will be to the thing. And if she had a different response, we could have a more generous hand in that area. And so it was another thing where I was like, man, I want my heart to be so pure before the Lord that he can give generously and there's no chance of idolatry or me building my identity on something in that area. Like, I can ask and there's just, that's, just, that's just not in me. And fasting is great for this because it's a declaration that the things of this world are not a higher priority to me than the things of God. That is fasting done well. You enter into it and it's not oh, if I don't do this, God's not going to like me. And if I don't do this, I'm not hardcore. And it's like all of these like shame type fast things. It's the statement, I choose to prioritize God. And this is a declaration that the things of God are more important to my happiness than a burger or Netflix or whatever it is, whatever you're fasting, right? It shifts you into right order. But the point being is when we read something this insane, and it starts to dull down. Sometimes we got to just like smack ourselves again and be like, this is crazy stuff. The first hearers of this were like, man, this is nothing like the pagan religions. And honestly, this is like Judaism, but this is way, way to a different degree. And it was available to everybody. There's a passage in James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, it says, uh, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. It's a crazy prayer, three and a half years. He prayed again, the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. The whole point of this is the part where it says... He was a man just like us. He's just a dude. James hears what Jesus says in this passage, and then he normalizes it for people. And he says, that's the life that I want to give to you in your father. Through the son. Through my model. My, Jesus speaking. Through my model. Like, this is how I live. This is how Jesus lived every single day of his life. The other thing that I wanted to highlight in this verse is anytime the Lord asks us to do something or gives us a direction in terms of the way we should go, it's always for our best, right? It's always for our best. And so if there's a directive that has to do with asking, seeking, and knocking, and it will be given to you, you've got to back out and ask yourself, this is a key to learning how to like really know who God is. Back out and ask yourself, why? Why would God do this? Why is this God's way? Why is asking good? Why is seeking good? Why is knocking good? What, what, what's in there? Why, would you, why does it matter if he already knows the stuff that we already need and he wants to do it, it's his will, why is asking even a part of the equation? 
it harkens back to the McKenna statement. I'm trying to teach her right now how to ask. Like, I don't love the daddy strawberry. <laughs> right? Like, why don't I love that? It shows boldness, it shows intimacy, it shows relationship. But it kind of speaks of wrong order as well. Right? Asking is really important for a number of reasons. One of them is it speaks to right order. One of the beauties and the privileges of our life in Christ is that we are dependent on him. We're dependent. And sometimes we forget this. If you have the orphan thing going on in you, if you, have a, if, if you grew up in a way where when you asked, you didn't receive just good gifts or, you know, you had to struggle big time, like there can be a proneness towards what we sometimes call the orphan spirit. And the orphan spirit is things that sound something like this. If you want something done right, you need to do it yourself. In this world, if you're going to get it, you need to get it. Like, you need to go after it. You need to take hold, take control, and get the things that you want in this world. Otherwise, you're not going to get it. It's going to spit you up and throw you out. Like, those types of statements were made by people who live with the orphan spirit. Those don't happen. You never heard Jesus saying anything remotely close to that could be anywhere interpreted by any, like anywhere near something like that. Because he walked around and what did he say? I only do what I see my father doing. It's this constant thing where he just knows his dependence in the flesh on the father for every type of provision. You need taxes? You go down to the fish and you reach in and there's a coin in its mouth. It's like, here, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Like, taxes. Like, you need some fish? It's like, hey, drop your net on the other side of the boat. And it's full of, like, people spend their entire life toiling for things that are free gifts in the kingdom. And it's all because of the orphan spirit. It's all because of this thing. It's like, if I just need to buckle in and I just need to dig my, my boots in the ground and I'm going to get this thing. And then we transition that kind of thing into our Christianity. And we wonder why we're not getting answers to prayers. You don't get answers to prayers like that because if you did, then, then God would send the message to you that this is how he is. If it takes a 21-day water fast every time for you to get a prayer, then it's like, man, I feel like I've earned everything that I've gotten from the Lord. Sometimes it's the contending and sometimes it's the free gift. The only way that you get to know is by asking him and listening to his spirit and saying, this one I've got. This battle, I don't want you to do anything. I just want you to sit there and watch what I do to your enemy. And then there's other ones where it's like, Pick up your sword, pick up your shield, go into the battle, fight your brains out. Why? Because this one teaches you partnership, this one teaches you dependence. And both are so important. McKenna needs to know both. She knows, needs to know that she has a position with me that's different from anybody else except for Kylie. But she also, <laughs> she needs to know that one actually. But she also needs to know respect. She also needs to know right order. She also needs to know that I'm not, I'm not there to be bossed around by her. That she's under me, I'm not under her. Like, I answer her because I love her and I choose to, not because 
I'm scared of her or I need to for some, you know, some reason. And that's really, really important. This isn't God on his high horse, like on his ego trip, like, hey, you need to remember who I am. The privilege of our life is living in dependence of God. We bucket. We're like, man, if I could control everything, I would. If it could be done my way, man, if I ruled the world, right, it would be different. But like the privilege of our life is this place of a dependence because the place of dependence is the place of love. You guys got to get this. The place of dependence is the place of love. If you don't want dependence on God, you don't want love from God. Because what does it do? You, you get in this posture before the Lord and you're like, I'm utterly dependent upon you. And actually, you have no obligation whatsoever to give to me. You could never give to me anything in my entire life and you would be utterly worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And so the only reason why I'm here is love. And that's enough. I believe with you that that's enough. And that's what this passage is screaming. That's why Jesus goes right into the second half of the passage, and he says, without a misstep, if your son asks him for bread, you're not going to give him a stone. That's for a fish. You're not going to give him a steak. It's like it goes right to this love relationship where the only reason why fathers do this for their children is out, out of love. The role of a father is a selfless, selfless thing. And in that selflessness, there's joy unspeakable. But it starts with selflessness. And so we just come before the Lord and we're like, I'm like utterly dependent upon you. And that's my glory to be here. My glory is to be dependent upon you. And to know that I stand in a place of favor with you. You know what else is awesome about it? Sometimes it sucks to be the one who's responsible. Seinfeld actually has a stand-up on this. He's like, why does everybody want to be responsible? The first thing that people ask when something goes wrong is, who's responsible? <laughs> but it's totally true, right? Like there's an aspect of it that's like, I feel like sometimes when we're really in an area of deep responsibility, like the Lord promotes us or something, or we're a place where we're like, got a lot of responsibility, we're like, man, I am feeling the weight of this thing. Has anybody ever been in that position? Of course, right? Area of responsibility is like, I got into a great school and I got to study really hard for this exam to, in order to steward it well. That's a good thing. There's an aspect of stewardship and responsibility that's truly been given to you. Or like, I'm in a job that I actually don't like, but it's actually my responsibility to show up every day and work as if I loved it and Jesus was my boss. That's like an area of responsibility. When you trust God deeply, responsibility is awesome. When you don't trust God that much, responsibility sucks because it's heavy and it's on your shoulders. And so when we talk about dependence on God, you know what part of the good news of that is? In any area where you're dependent on God, you're not responsible. That's awesome, right? Like, if you truly get that, you can stand before the Lord and be like, this is the area that you've said you're responsible. I'm not. If you're responsible, then I'm not. And a perfect, a perfect example of this is at the end of Matthew chapter 6. Suki preached on it a couple weeks ago. What does he say? Seek first the kingdom of God. 
and his righteousness. Seek him and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. What's these other things in context? It's provision. It's food, clothing, and shelter, the most foundational things in life. Did you know that that's not even supposed to be a part of our responsibility? Did you know that food, clothing, and shelter is not even supposed to be a part of our responsibility? That ends up the heaviest thing for people most of the time, right? How much money am I going to make? What kind of house is it going to give me? How am I going to provide for my family? Like all that stuff is supposed to be the byproduct. We go, what does it look like to seek his kingdom and his righteousness? And then we go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're on the, all the other stuff is at an end to me, right? And he goes, yeah, of course. Like that's my promise. All my promises are yes and amen. And so this idea of dependence, I think we've, again, like the orphan stuff has said, like, man, don't be dependent on people. The only safe place is when it's under your control. And that is not the life of Christ at all. That's not the life of Christ at all. So that's one of the areas that makes asking so important. The other one that I mentioned there is, so there's two. Asking makes way for the, love, the, the recognition of love from a great father. I'll talk more about that in a second. And then the first one is asking is a right place of dependence. It puts things in right order. And when things are in right order, you have peace in your life because dependence sits in the right places. The recognition of love thing. So asking is also great because it makes way for the recognition of a love the love from a great father. I remember, so speaking of Sarah Yang again, um, uh, when Suki and I first moved into our place, uh, we were living with Sarah. She was there for a couple years, I think. And then she moved out. And uh, right about that time, I was starting to feel like God was teaching me a very important lesson. And that very important lesson was this. Not all lessons that I teach you are taught in a hard way. Can anyone witness with that one? Dude, earlier in my walk with God, I'm like, why is every lesson like you're ripping it out of my hand and it hurts, you know? And, and this was like an awesome, glorious season where I felt like God was like, hey, I'm a great tutor. And it, it doesn't always end up in you get, like being deprived of the thing that you love and it like ripping your heart in two. Sometimes it does because it's not good for you, but not always. And so I started to like get into this thing a little bit. And I was like, all right, let's take this car for a spin. And uh, we, had no, we had like zero money. Um, and uh, so I prayed for a TV. Has anyone ever, ever prayed for a TV before? Well, I got one. It was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome, actually. Like, I prayed for a TV. And like a week later, Sarah called me. And she's like, hey, I've got this massive TV. And I'm moving. I have nowhere to put this thing. Like, do you guys want a TV? And I was like, that's awesome. What's crazy about that, though? Like, you guys can do what you will with that. I'm not, you guys know me in the prosperity gospel stuff. That's not where I'm going with this. It's not like, believe hard enough and you get your jumbo TV. This one was only like 36 inches. It was like big at the time, but it was like the 300-pound ones, you know? If I had more faith, I would have like prayed in a 70-inch from today. And it would... But the crazy part, the part that I actually want to hit on for the purposes of, of our time today is... When I received that TV, I thanked Sarah, but mostly I thanked God. If I hadn't asked anything, 
it probably would have been the exact reverse. I probably would have profusely thanked Sarah, and I probably would have given God the nod. Like, oh, that's awesome, thanks. Asking changes everything for the way that stuff flows into your life. All of a sudden, you see statements of love everywhere. Like, when you have a robust prayer life, it's not just that you get more stuff, although that's a part of it too. It's that every piece that you get coming into your life, all of a sudden is an answer to a prayer that you've prayed, and it's sent directly from a father that loves you and is sending you a message. It changes everything. Asking changes everything as far as that goes. And so we're like, why would God tell us to ask? That's just so weird. But what we have to see when we see a bunch of these lined up, where, where you're like, I don't understand why God does it this way. And then you go, God, why do you do it this way? And then he shows you, what he shows you is part of his glory. He shows you that every time he does something that you don't understand, it's actually to benefit you at the end of the day. And not just you. He cares about the whole world. He cares about being loved through you. But I'm talking about you because it's talking about being a father here. And like this is a revelation of his goodness. And so what we do is we come into a place and we ask for something and then he gives it to us and we're like, oh my gosh, like faith upon faith, he really does love me. Have you guys ever had those times where you get something from the Lord and you're like, I can't believe it, he actually cares. He actually cares, he actually hears this stuff. Asking makes way for the recognition of the love of God from a great father where we'd otherwise take it for granted. It builds in deep thankfulness, deep appreciation that he hears us, he cares, and he acts. This is all from asking. Asking is powerful. It's super powerful. Something happens in your heart when you start asking. One of my favorite verses is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we talked about that recently. When you ask, there's an investment of your treasure in every time you ask. The third component of why asking is such a big deal is because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so what happens as you ask is you actually deposit some of your treasure, your time, your energy, your care in life into the thing that you're asking for. And what it does when you're asking for the right things, it actually anchors your heart in the kingdom of God. This is one of the best ways, asking is one of the best ways that any area of your heart where you're like, God, I want more love for the world. You want to know how to do that? Start investing your treasure there. You can control your heart really easily. Get before the Lord and start begging him for the nations. All of a sudden, all of this investment in your treasure is going into this bucket. Start sowing your money into international missions. Your treasure is going into it. You send your money, you send your passion and your prayer, and next thing you know, you're like burning for the nations. I remember this one time, I was so hungry to see God move in healing. Like I started to get a revelation of like, wow, God is really good, and he really wants to be active on this earth through his people. And so I started praying and praying and praying, and I went to Ranch 99, and I was walking through the Ranch 99 shopping center. I still remember exactly where I was. And this woman was walking this way, an Asian woman and her white husband, and we were walking by, 
And, and, and the woman goes, oh. And the husband goes, what's going on? She goes, oh, my knee. And I'm, and I'm walking by, and I keep going. And God's like, hello. Like, <laughs> what are you doing, right? Haven't you been praying for this, like, for weeks? And that fear thing in my heart shoots through, and I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to do this, right? Like, dang it. But there had been such an investment in my prayer life that I was like, no. Like, what have I been praying about? Like, this is the thing that I've been longing for. And my vision for that thing was bigger than my fear in the moment. I had sown in enough prayer in that area where I was like, no, this matters more to me now than my fear. This matters more to me now than an awkward moment with this person. And what was that? It was weeks of praying into that that was building this thing up to the point there where I was like, okay, like, do I care enough to look like an idiot? Actually, yes, I do. Now, two weeks ago, I didn't. And so I turned around and I prayed for the lady and then I was like, <laughs> like I didn't even stick around to find out if she got healed. I was like such a, so, so nervous, right? That's not the way you thought the story would end, huh? <laughs> oh, it didn't end that way. Ah, I got in my car, and I felt like the Lord was like, what are you doing? You know, like, you don't even know. And so they were coming out of Ranch 99, and I swung my car around, and I pull up next to them, and I said, hey, how's the knee? She goes, oh, my gosh, it's 100% better. What happened? And I was like, hold on. And I parked my car, and I went out, and I talked to them for, like, 20 minutes. It was, it was pretty awesome. And I was like, this is Jesus. This is how he rolls. This is he loves you. He cares. Like, this is a sign of how much he cares about your life. But the point is, it was all that sewing in. It was all that sewing in. That the, the, then when the point of cost came, in this case it was fear. Some cases it's financial. In other cases it's relational equity. Whatever it is, like, whatever it is, at that moment I was like, I am, I'm sewn in. I care more than most things. And, and so I was willing to absorb the cost. And then I got to experience the kingdom. And so it's, th it's those three things. This is why asking is such a huge deal. I think we, you know, sometimes we're so needs-oriented, right, that the point of prayer is to get it. The point of prayer is to get the thing that we're going after, which Jesus doesn't knock on that, right? Like, he doesn't, he doesn't say, like, hey, don't ask for stuff. Just go and be relational with your father. He's like, no, no, no. Bring the real things that really matter that you really want and you want answers to. But his whole backdrop, his whole assumption, it's just a given that all of this is done in the context of relationship. And for God, relationship is here. Needs is somewhere underneath that. It doesn't matter anymore because all the provision is here anyway. Right? And so he comes in with this like default mindset that, of course, this is about relationship first and needs second. But I think sometimes for us, and that's the alignment of heart stuff that happens in prayer, sometimes for us we're just like, man, why isn't God answering my prayer? Like, man, it's been so long. Right? And I get that. I've been there. There's frustration in that. Maybe he doesn't care after all. You know? But like what God's highlighting is here is like, the revelation of how good he is as a father is found partially in the asking because that's what tees things up that when he answers, it matters. It changes everything. 
But like his whole context is this one that's relational first, needs second. And we come in with needs first, relationship second. And so our, 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 our relationship with the Lord is on trial in prayer. When that, would, that should never be on the table, right? It's like, I'm doing this for relationship first. And if I get out of it, then great. But if not, let's align hearts and adjust my ask to your heart because that's what prayer is about more than anything else. Let's get the worship team to come on up. Um, yeah? Come on up. Pastor Suki, everyone. So I don't have a lot, but one of the things that was just sitting in my, in my spirit as Ryan was talking, I was just reminded of, so I've, I've shared this a couple of times. So I've gone through a lot of different moments in my life where I'm living hand to mouth. And what that meant was like, I had, you know, 10 to $15 in my bank account and somehow God would drop um, the exact amount that I'd need at the exact time. And it happened for years. It was like, probably, I don't know, from the time I was 18 and got saved to the time it still kept happening. And I remember at the time, um, I kept feeling like, man, I can't wait until the season ends. I hate being the person who's always in need, you know, and I, I think there was this part, and I felt like, and I felt like the Lord was just showing me that picture of the Israelites in the wilderness, you know, and every single day, like God drops manna down and they're and God's feeding them. And and I felt like the Lord was just sharing and showing me like a lot of times we get so excited we're like we can't wait for this to stop because we want to finally be able to take care of ourselves. And we want we we feel like oh once we get a job we finally can pay our bills or something happens, you know. Um I I'm, I'm waiting for the the person that will be my mate for life, and then I can finally move on to this next thing. And what I felt like the Lord was just showing me, it's like there's never a point in time in our walk with him that he doesn't care that we're dependent on him. Like even the God that showed up every single moment when I needed something is the same God that he is today when it seems like we've got a regular paycheck coming on our regular day. Like even that, is from him. And if we think that that's not from him, that he's a different God, I think we, we miss the lesson from that season because he's not a different God. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And as we mature and deepen in our relationship with the Lord, actually, he wants us to be even more dependent on him. We don't get less dependent and more self-sufficient. In fact, the longer we walk with him, the more he reveals to us, man, I... I just want to be with you always. I want you to ask me for everything. Like, I think McKenna and Kylie are a great example because there's never a moment where they're, like, thinking, man, I can do this without having to ask my parents. You know, if there's anything they can't do, their first inclination is always to ask us. And I don't think that that ever ends. But as we get older, we get to actually partner with him to do the stuff he cares about. But it's still that he wants us in dependence with him. Um, and so 
So I just wanted to share that that was um, the one thing that I, that really stuck in my heart because I think a lot of times we just think that needing him that much and being that dependent on him is a sign of immaturity, but actually that will not end. That's not going to end. Yeah. And in fact, the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more you're going to realize you need him. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. yeah, so welcome to that life. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, let's stand. That's a, that's a good way to end. Honestly, I think that the call for this message is a call to a lifestyle of trust. It's a call to a lifestyle of trust. You know, I think some, sometimes when we talk about what it means to be a Christian, it's weird and kind of like, I'll explain what I mean. Like, there, there's kind of a thing where it's like, hey, have you made Jesus your Lord and Savior? Do you have faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And it's like, well, I think so. I don't really know what that means. Like, do you know what that means? At the core of that, faith in Jesus is trust in Jesus. Faith and trust are synonymous. So if you want to know what the entire Christian life about is about, it's about trust in God. Jesus even says it. He says, like, What are the works of my father that you believe in his son? This whole thing, this whole whole ball of wax that we're doing down here, it's 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 a thing of trust. It's a thing of faith. It's this life of dependence, like Suki said, where more and more we get comfortable with God as provider and God as being the one that we're leaning upon to the place where we can Trust him more and more and more and more. And the Israelites went through 40 years of manna coming from heaven to the point where I guess God deemed them ready enough in the trust bucket. Like you're so used to me providing on a daily basis that you're now ready to have provision that comes from your hand. And so they go into the promised land and it's like, I needed to do this this whole time so that when you actually got what I've wanted to give you the whole time, you wouldn't pollute it with idolatry and think that it's your doing. Like, I'm the one taking you into the land of milk and honey. So when you're there and it's flowing and you look around you, now we've had four generations or, you know, multiple generations that have lived with manna. And that, that provision thing is so deep in you that now when you work the land with your hand and it bears fruit, you go, oh, that's my God. And that is a lot of what prayer is. A lot of what prayer is, is just sowing in and sowing in and sowing in. And this trust builds and builds and builds to the place where God can trust you with anything. And the first thing you do isn't go, oh man, my stuff is so great. The first thing you do is, wow, my provider is so great in every area of my life. If you're in an awesome school right now, like, congrats, you got some provision. Maybe even before you had a deep trust in the Lord. No time to start like now. Wow, everything that you've given me to date has been you, and I didn't even know. Maybe you're in the opposite bucket. Maybe it feels like provision's nowhere right now. Like, stand on the promises as yes and amen. This is a lesson in trust. I'm choosing to trust you. I'm choosing to believe that you're this father. Either way, it's an invitation into trust. And it's not, like Suki said, it's not a now thing. It's a life thing. It's a now thing and tomorrow thing and the next day thing. And it's just trust upon trust. Cool, let's pray and then we'll worship.
Lord, we give you thanks and praise for this life of trust that you've given us to live. God, thank you that in asking, it's an invitation of dependence. It's an invitation to experience your love and to know the hand of provision. And it's an invitation to allow you the place in our life to be who you'd like to be to us. And so, God, we ask over this group, God, we want to know you, God. We want to know you like this. We want to know you in the way that Jesus knew you. We want to know you like 1 Corinthians chapter 2 states where it's like, no, my, no eye has seen, actually, my eye has seen, my ear has heard how amazing the depths of God are. Because we have the mind of Christ. God, would you put a fire in us to pray? Would you put a fire in us to ask in a way, God, that builds this trust with you, that builds this thing, God, where we just want the things of your heart. We don't want the things that aren't in line of your heart because your ways are perfect. Your mind is perfect. Your heart is perfect. Everything about you is perfect, God. And so, Lord, through this asking, through this exercise of trust, I pray that you'd conform us into the image of your son, God, because there's nothing in life that we long for more, God, than to see your face and to become just like you. So we give you the glory, we give you the honor, and we ask you, God, to walk us through this journey, God. Sustain us in trust. Sustain us in this pursuit, God. Any areas where our legs would be feeble, we turn to you, say, in that area we're dependent too. In any area where fear would rise up and we'd be like, oh yeah, I would live that except that is here. That's the bullseye for you. We're dependent upon you in that area too. No more excuses as to why it doesn't happen in this way or that way. In whatever area is associated with us, we say, God, in that area too, we trust in you. And we, we ask you to be our strength and our weakness and our ever-present help in time of need. And for those where asking feels really risky and vulnerable, I just want to pray for you. God, for those where asking is really scary, because we have not always been given a good response. Lord, I ask you that you would even now be wooing those hearts to trust. And we thank you that, God, you are not untrustworthy, but rather you, your definition of good would blow our minds. That even if our parents... And those that we have loved, we haven't been able to ask because they were untrustworthy. Lord, we thank you that you are different. And so, God, even now, we just, I just speak an encouragement for those who are asking. It feels risky. I ask you, Jesus, that you would increase our ability to ask and Increase our ability to wait. Lord, and we, I just declare over this group that you are a good father. That you are a good daddy. And if you need prayer for anything, anything that we talked about right now or just things that God has brought up, we'll have some people up here.